for the queen. Sisters manifesting their dreams. Hit your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti. Black girl magic, melanin popping. Whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. Hello, everyone. Did you hear that song? That song was live. If you did not catch it, definitely catch the replay. Start from the very beginning of this pod so you can hear and see the little delights. With that being said, hello, everyone. My name is Ursula of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. This is going to be a very interesting podcast. It's going to hit home with a lot of people, I know, especially with myself. But before we get into that, I just want to give you all some reminders to remember if you hear, when you hear my voice, please share this video with at least two friends. I'm just asking two friends and or start a watch party. Make sure and tag Black girls getting their shift together. And also visit the podcast. It's on all live streaming platforms. Once again, just search Black girls getting their shift together. And if you want to see my pretty face and my guest beautiful face, go to my YouTube channel under the same name, Black girls getting their shift together. Hello to my 413 family. I have another person from She's either from 508 or 617. We'll find out. Other than that, we are coming to a close of season one. To next week, there's two more episodes. And then that will be it just for season one. And we'll restart again. So right now, I'm going to bring on my beautiful guest. Hello, hello, hello. Sunshine. <laughs> I don't see myself. You don't. I see you. There I go. Okay. Ready? Hello. Let's get it. So, everyone, this is the beautiful Takaya Anderson, also known as the Frugal Bitty. So, I'm just going to let you all get acquainted to Takaya. So, as I said, she is also known as the Frugal Biddy. She is also a licensed attorney who was able to pay off six figures in student loans, credit card debt, and a card loan debt in less, in less than nine years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she did this while being a single parent when she graduated from law school in 99 with approximately $111,000 in student loan debt, she and her almost two-year-old daughter, and she had an entry-level salary of $34,000 a year. $34,102. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> You're right. If you, we're gonna get to that. <laughs> See, yeah, I'm glad you checked. <laughs> so she made a lot of sacrifices in order to ensure that she stayed laser focused on paying off this debt. So. My motivation for this show is to let people know that self-care has a really big umbrella in my mind. And under that umbrella, you have your emotional self-care, your career self-care, your thought process. Financial literacy is also self-care. And... <sighs> It's different for a lot of people and challenging. I will admit I am one of those people. So if I'm going to be transparent about everything else, I'm going to be transparent that I definitely would love to get some tips on financial literacy. Yes. Yes. And to know that I know I'm not the only person. And after talking to Takaya and looking at her post on Facebook and all her social media, she is also human with it as well. So we're going to, she's going to take us on a journey. She's going to hold our hands and we're going to go through the Valley of financial literacy forest. Yes. You're our financial fairy godmother today. Okay. I will be that. I will be that today. <laughs> so before we get started in that, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, like where you're from and your alma mater and a husband that we both share? Yes. Um, so Takaya Anderson, um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. The part of Boston is Dorchester, born and raised. So area code was 617, always was 617. Um, so I grew up yeah, in Dorchester, like still have a little bit of the accent. Um, I am a 1994 graduate of Howard University. So I'm a Howard hey. University license. Um, and I am a 1999 graduate of Boston College Law School. So um, graduated college in 1994, and then I worked for two years, and then I um, started law school in 1996, and then I had my daughter in 1997, and then I still graduated on time with my class in 1999. So that's my educational story at that point, at, at this point in time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You were a little bit I was a lot busy and, and obviously it wasn't planned. So it was like, wow, because literally found out that I got like, I found out that I was pregnant four months into my first semester of law school. So it was like, I just, I was completely befuddled. I was confused how it happened. I just remember telling the nurse I'm in law school and my mom is going to kill me and that's all and I you know I was a grown I'm a grown woman I was like 24 25 years old so but I was like I just I don't understand and so you know I did what I needed to do um you know during that whole entire course of being in law school taking out student loans I had to take out additional student loans because I needed the extra money in order to take care of my daughter it's expensive you know child care everything else so it was it was interesting. It was challenging, but I got through it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you turn your volume down just a hair if possible? Yes, I can. And while you do that, I know that this 
topic is definitely resonating because this is the first time that this many people logged on in the beginning. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah. funny. Also, with people coming in, if you all, let's see, have questions for Takaya, you want to tell me hello, just there's a comment section. So just feel free to jump in. We're all in this together. So we're now at the beginning of the forest of financial literacy in your journey. Yes. So. What was it that motivated you other than being in college and uh, with the two-year-old daughter? What was it that motivated you to become the frugal bitty? Um, I think that it was probably something that was always a part of me. Um, you know, I grew up, my mom, I grew up in a single, single parent household. My mom had me and my twin sister. At, later in life, she got married. But I, I remember the struggles that she had financially um, in terms of taking care of two children. I distinctly remember um, circumstances of her looking for change in the couch in order to, you know, have milk money for me and my twin or to have lunch money. And it was like, I think that um, even though when my mom got married, obviously things got better, not obviously, but things did get better because now we're a part of a two income family and my you know, stepfather had a good job and certain, certain blessings came upon him that um, I benefited from. But it was always that I think that that was a trigger for me. And it was always a situation of, you know, I look at I look at my mom and it's to me like a panic. And I still have that in me. Like my financial advisor tells me that I suffer from bag lady syndrome, which is true, which is it doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't ha matter how much money um, you tell me I'm going to have by the time that I retire. It's never enough. So no matter how many times she sets up to me and tells me you're going to be fine. It's to me, I don't I don't hear that. I hear that I'm still broke. Like I, I don't know or something's gonna happen. And so with that, it was always this, I don't wanna be in debt. And debt was always an issue. Like debt is something that to me is negative. And you know, growing after I when I had my daughter, it's I don't have enough money because a lot of I mean you did I didn't have a lot of money, like especially like coming out of law school, starting a job, working for the federal government only making $34,102. And so that was not a lot. I still had to pay rent. I still had to pay daycare. I still, even with the child support, it just wasn't enough. And so it's always been this kind of like fear of mine. And it's, I still have issues, money anxiety. So I think with me, I'm kind of like a money hoarder, but I never have enough of it. So was, oh, Kenya said i can relate to that bag lady syndrome wow i don't see the chats i don't see um any of the stuff coming in but yeah it's, it's, I'll, read, I'll read everything that comes through okay. Okay. so um show that show that howard cup again H you you know anyone with the howard check in this is the time <laughs> so was the your daughter's father involved with any financial help whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, he had to pay child support. Of course, I'm not that type of person. So I, I like you will, yeah, you have to pay. Like he, 
contributed, like my agreement with him was that we wouldn't do court ordered child support until after I graduated from, from, from law school. And that's exactly what happened. So once I finished with law school, because I still, he was, I mean, we're both young, we're not that young, but he was still kind of, you know, starting out in his career and trying to get things together or whatever. I'm in law school, like neither one of us anticipated or planned having a child. So I felt like, um, I gave him enough time in order to um, get his finances together and whatever, but absolutely. But it's, I mean, children are expensive. And so it's, and for me, I am, I'm that mom who, um, which is part of the reason why I never had any more children, but I'm the mom who puts my, like I spend a lot of money, not on material things, on educational things for my daughter, because that's what I value. And so I was the mom who was putting her in the camps and I'm the one who, you know, I'm the mom who's giving her tutors and things of that nature. And so that's where I spent my money was on investing in my child as well as investing in my future. So I'm saving money and I'm spending it primarily on her. Right. That's really good how you and your daughter's father came together because that would have been another big headache it probably could have caused more more money to be spent. You never, I mean, I've heard horror stories, so. Right, but this is my, I guess for me, my personality type is you're going to have to contribute, period. And so when I, I've had women come to me and they'll say, well, I just don't want to like get him involved. Why? He was involved when you made the child. So he needs to financially contribute to that child. Um, Massachusetts is very pro-mom or pro-pro-not um, pro-mom, but pro-custodial um, parent. And so I'm a lawyer. I'm not, or at that point in time, I was still in law school. Um, I had gra- well, I had just graduated from law school by the time that he and I went to went to court for child support. I'm not going to allow for you not to contribute what you're supposed to contribute to my child because my thing was also, um, I remember when I got interviewed by Money Magazine, or I think it was Money Magazine, or maybe it was the second, the second um, reporter that um, interviewed me. But I was like, my thinking was also that given how old my daughter was, there was no way that I was going to be able to pay for her college and pay off my student loan. So I had to do, so this is part of the child support obviously was money that he would give to me. I used it for a certain, for a certain period of time for her upbringing. But eventually when I started making more money, I took all of that money and put it into her 529 plan. So it's not, um, for me, that's how it worked. So it was, yes, I'm going to use it for her, for her day-to-day living and all that other stuff. But I'm also, once I got my feet and once I started doing better financially, all of his money went into her college savings. Okay. Turn your music down, your music, turn your volume down just a little more if you can. If I turn it down anymore, I won't be able to hear you. Okay. Well, we will work with it because we all need to hear it. (laughs) Hear what you're going to say. We'll work it out. So now we're still in the financial forest and we're walking you and uh, your ex broke up. So now you're dating again. Tell us the story about dating. Let Let me get the correct title. Dating a credit card loser. <laughs> um, I mean, so, I mean, the thing is, is like, I am the frugal bitty. I'm very much about saving money, but I've made mistakes 
in my life and I've done stupid things. And so, so you know, um, I remember when I started the process, which I'm still going through or trying to write my book, I had contacted um, a copyright um, person and I was explaining to him and I said, hey, I have something very, very embarrassing. And he and I were talking on LinkedIn. We had um, got introduced on LinkedIn and we're talking on LinkedIn. And I said, I have something embarrassing and I don't know if I should share this in my book. And he was like, so what is it? And I guess he probably thought it was going to be like, you know, you pro- you are a prostitute or you was like some, I don't know, whatever. And I was like, I loaned out a significant amount of money to someone that I dated. And I said, I'm not certain if I should include this in my book. And wait, was, wait, wait, wait. How much did you loan him? $10,000. So, yeah, so I loaned out. $10,000 to somebody that I was dating. And um, I have another question. Was it that good? I, it's not even about that. Like he, like, this is one of the things that I realized about me is that like now I'm very much like, I'm not giving you a dime. I think for me, I kind of like felt sorry for people. Like I realized, I, I realized that a lot of people were not in the circumstances that I that I was in. Like my stepdad ended up doing very well later on in life. I did not have to pay for college for for undergrad. Um, I I was just different, and so for me, helping people. I guess when I loaned out this money, first in my mind, I thought that maybe it was helping that person. So temporarily for, cause the, the idea was, and I made him sign a contract because I was like, well, that's, you know, a lot of money. And um, I have like, you know, my little emergency fund. And I was like, this is my emergency fund. So the agreement was that we would, um, he would give me back my money within, I think like 60 days or something like that. And he would also give me $2,500 on top of the, of, of the $10,000. Well, whatever happened, he ended, he didn't, he didn't, he did not end up giving me my money. And it took me almost five years in order to get my money. I ended up getting it, but it took a significant amount of time because I had to take him to court and I'm, you know, trying to put him on a payment plan or whatever. So it's not like it was just, you know, like, you know, you're, you know, you know, I'm a single mom and I'm trying to help you out. And this is what you do. So it was, I can't explain it. Like it was just a dumb move. And I was the frugal biddy at that point in time. And if somebody else would have come to me and said, I'm thinking about loaning somebody that I'm dating $10,000 out of it, like you're crazy. But he presented to me that he was financially well off, that this was just something that, that was temporary. Because if I sit here and I borrow $10,000 from somebody, you're definitely going to get it back. Like it's just maybe my money is somewhere hung up, but you're definitely going to get your money back. But it was stupid. So when you got your money back, how did that go about? You sued him or what? How did that work? So I agreed that he would pay me a certain amount of money a month. So he was supposed to give me a specific amount by a particular day. I drafted um, a contract. I had it notarized everything. He signed it. I kept it. The day comes and he's hemming and hawing and then he's saying, well, I can't get it back to you. And I'm like, well, let me put you on a payment plan. Um, can you do $300 a month? And then it got down to $150 a month. And then he thought he would pay whenever he felt like it. So I'm researching statute of limitations in Georgia. And I realized that by the time he finished paying me off, I, we would have gone through the statute of limitations. 
So I contacted him and I said, can you get money from your TSP? We, we both worked for the federal government at, at the time. Can you get money from your TSP? Like what can he was like, I can't. So I went ahead and I walked down to the courthouse and I did my small claims thing. I contacted the U.S. Marshals. I paid for them. They served him at his job. And he was so embarrassed because at that point in time, we had stopped dating. So it was like, these are years. So by that time, we had already broken up. So I don't, I know he moved. So I don't know exactly where he lives anymore, but I know where he works. And he works in my building and he works upstairs. And so what I need for you to do is to serve him at his job. And that's exactly what I did. And he was so embarrassed that I had served him that the next day he gave me a cashier's check for all for the for the balance of my money. <laughs> the whole entire time he's telling me he doesn't have it, but you have it. So I was like, never again. And I was like, I will never. And that was my biggest thing. Like, I will never have like my my mantra now is if I can't afford to lose it, I'm not giving it to you. And I am like, I'm so I get so caught up when it comes to comes to money. Like if I let you borrow one hundred dollars and you don't pay me back, it's going to bother me. So I very much have to be like before I loan out money, I have to think of it as a gift because if I, if I never give it back, get it back, then it's, then it's not going to matter. But that was like stupid. And that was the thing that I was talking to this guy about. And I was like, I was the frugal bitty. I'm sitting up here on my web, on, on my Facebook page, giving advice to people. People are thinking that I'm like the bomb, but here I am doing something stupid like this. And he was like, but I think it's good. Like I, it's it's not good that you did it, but I think that it is a good lesson and it's something that you learn. And so you can basically impart that onto other people and explain, you know, more in depth about the situation and what happened. I love that. And the reason why I'm telling everybody how financial literacy is also self-care. Ebony said, so glad you recovered from your, recovered your funds. And Justin Rice said oh my yes. cousin yeah he said yes tell him cuz <laughs> but it's really good that you're showing a human side a human form that people can make mistakes in anything whether it's relationships but right now we're gonna laser focus on the financial part of it because we're always gonna make mistakes but it's how we bounce back from it. absolutely and do we stay and marinate in it or are we proactive? Absolutely. So let me tell you a story. And if you all are, if our audio is off or kind of wonky, just put it in the comments. Because it sounds like a vacuum cleaner. So. I have loaned money out, not a substantial part like you have, but money is money. No, because one isn't better than the other. But I had loaned some people some money, and it was really minimal. But they didn't pay me back. And then I'm like, well, not like you. I should have been like you. And I just didn't ask for it back, but it was bothering me. And then I got to a point, I'm like, oh. So I <laughs> sent out a mass text message. It wasn't that many people, but I did. I sent out a text message like, look, my employment status has changed. I need my money back. So instead of getting mad, because now I, I have a different thought process 
why would I get upset at these people as opposed to looking at myself that I don't value my own money? Thank you. That I don't value my own money, that I cannot ask for my own money back. That doesn't make sense. Because it's like you feel, but it's kind of like with me, what I didn't like about the situation. I was like, I don't, I'm never going to put myself into this situation again. And the situation is that I'm scared to ask you for my money back, that I feel like I'm walking on eggshells when I asked you for, for, for my money back. So when I loaned him, I had just bought my house when I had moved to Georgia, like I moved to Georgia, I rented for a year, then I brought a house. So unfortunately, when I like I bought the house and a week later I move in and the whole entire basement is flooded. And so I had to get the basement, like the carpet redone. I had to get a new um, water heater. So that was, well, hey, like, yes, I have my, you know, the, um, the warranty that covers it, but I still had to come out of pocket. I need my money. So I go back. I need my money for this. The guy says, I can't give it to you. Then like my daughter has braces. Like I should not have to go on a payment plan and not to say my emergency fund is the whatever, but I had more than enough. And so I shouldn't have to go on a payment plan in order to pay for my daughter's dentist. So it's kind of like, I'm not going to ever put myself in a situation where I feel like I have to beg you for my money. So the best thing for me is just not to loan you anything. And it's unfortunate because there are people who have come to me and they have needed and I can't provide to you because all I, the anxiety starts and I just think back to what this person did to me years ago. And so it's, 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 I guess it's the same kind of like being an abusive relationship or whatever, but I always think about that, like what he did to me and how hard it was and so I won't do it anymore. I just, I won't. So I don't know. I could be two millionaire and I will not loan you anything. I, cause I know it is going to bother me. So, yeah. Okay. So I have another question. Speaking of the dating, what are some signs that a person is dating a financial nightmare? Oh, I call them financial losers and I've met all sorts of financial losers. Like I remember um, I was dating somebody and it's weird because I meet all these people in Atlanta. So I don't even understand. So maybe it's like the Atlanta men. So I remember I was dating this guy and we were talking, cause I, you know, I'm talking about like credit and, you know, get having really, really good credit and whatever. And, um, he says, um, I wanted to know if I could ask you a question. So I'm thinking, because he knows about the frugal video, whatever, I'm thinking he's at, because I like talking about money and I like talking about finances and especially when it comes to black people, because we don't seem to know a lot or we don't seem to do a lot with our knowledge or whatever we're lacking. And so he starts talking to me about how he wants to buy a new car and how he is at. He says that his credit is not that good. And because I have such great credit, can I just go ahead and get the car in my name? And he pays me back over six months. And I said, well, if you're and it was like some BMW or whatever. Now, I know from my past experience, I'm not I'm not buying anything, but I entertained the conversation. Not that I was ever going to do it, but I really want to like, how do you plan on doing that? And, you know, you have the audacity. And as soon as that came out of his mouth, I lost respect for him. So I knew he and I were never going to date after that point in time, because for you to be asking me a woman for that, you're not asking me for lunch money or whatever, but you're asking me 
to indebt myself for you. So what he planned on doing was because, um, you know, different dealerships have 0%, 1% financing, he wanted me to take the car out in my name and he was going to pay me off over six months. So that to me is like a financial loser. And that is that is a flag for me. And so and um, I had someone else that I dated who um, needed to get dental work done and was like, can you get like one of those care credits? It's, it's like crazy. So I sit here and I kind of like think to myself, I wonder if I should just stop telling people that I am this person called the frugal bitty because I think that people assume that I have a whole bunch of money that I just want to like provide to people, which is not the case. And so it's like, for me personally, and I, I'm not saying like if, if, if I get married and my husband needs something, this is completely different. But when you are a man and you're coming and you're asking a woman, you are and this. is, And I'm sure some people will be like, whatever, men are supposed to be the provider. I've never really other than my stepdad, I haven't had a man provide for me. So I do everything for myself, but it, it, it just it bothers me. And so once they open up that window and it appears that you're going to be asking me for, for some sort of financial assistance, I don't find you interesting anymore because I've done everything for myself. I don't need like I already have a child. I don't need another child. She already cost a lot of money. <laughs> so. I only thing I disagree with you, what you just said is when you said, I'm thinking about not telling people that I am the frugal bitty or what I do or what I'm good at, because that's, you are good at what you do. You have a lot of followers on Facebook and your, you know, your social media and everything. And it's, it's relatable. But if you were to do that, that's playing your own self small on a God-given gift or a, a passion, a purpose that you have. No, man. If you are, if I'm dating you or getting to know you, it makes me hesitant to tell you about this because to me, I've had enough instances where it's at some point in time, someone's asking me for some sort of financial assistance. And it's like, I don't, I think that because I, I would readily pull up articles about myself because I know that people don't believe me when I tell them like who you're dealing with. I'm like, I'm not like, you know, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an amazing person, period. I'm like, I've accomplished a substantial amount in my life. So this is who, who you're dealing with. But I guess you're right. It is making myself small, but I, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I guess it's kind of like the audacity that you equate dating me, the person who was able to pay off um, over a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, the person who was able to save over a half a million dollars, the person who was able to pay for her daughter to go to um, um, a private college, like the fact that you equate my ability to do to be so good with my money that I'm going to want to give you something is just befuddling to like I don't I don't I don't understand it. Well, I do agree with you on that part. However, tell them anyone because that's a part of you it's what you do extreme extremely well i don't know how many other people have paid off a hundred thousand dollars of debt and can give advice about it and when you do meet a man like that he's just deleting himself because you set a firm boundary don't do not play small for anyone male female no you're good at what the hell you do now very good 
Yeah. And if, that's not the man you want anyway. Or it's it's a, a, it's a, a, like, I just look at it. Because I, I don't think, I, I, I guess for me also, it's kind of like, it wasn't some, this is something that was difficult. It wasn't easy. Like my daughter, like I, I basically went without for everything. So I didn't spend money on anything. And when I did start paying for like, you know, the tutors and stuff, that was when I was already pretty much out of debt at, at that point in time. But we didn't have like cable. I didn't have the internet. I don't even think I had a cell phone. Like I didn't do anything, anything. I didn't spend money on, on anything. And so it's like, it wasn't as if I was just kind of like this lucky person. I never, you know, I wasn't making a whole bunch of money. I didn't start really making six figures until like years later or whatever, but it was low six figures and people think six figures and they're like, that's a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. It's like your expenses are still going up, but I always just cut everything out. Anytime I got a raise, I put, I did not spend that money on me. That went towards my debt. Um, I just didn't spend. And so it's like, now I'm in a situation that yes, I can spend money on myself, but it's like, I made those sacrifices. Right. Yeah, the huge sacrifices. And another layer of it is, and this is for anyone, what maybe are we projecting out that these men feel that comfortable to ask for, and they're not asking for $25. Jeez, I don't, I don't, to me, and that's my thing. I don't think that I'm projecting out anything. I don't, I I don't know what it is. I think that it's just those men because I have had men that like, that I'm, you know, somebody that I'm dating that has never asked me for a dime. Like I remember one time he, you know, left his wallet at home and he was like, I hate to bother you, but can I, you know, left my wallet. Can you, can you give me $10 or and I'll get, and I was like, oh yeah, I mean, just come down and get it or whatever. But I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. But I think I don't know, like I like I think that I did teach I teach in a certain way. But I think my uh, my negative was giving and thinking that 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 was a way to help somebody. Right. That makes sense. If it's kind of like I because I know what and I, I know with me, like. Being the single mom and even though there was just a lot that I like struggled with financially, so I did not tell my mom a lot of times what was going on. I didn't tell my stepdad what was going on because I was like, I'm the, I made this child. And so to sit there and to go, to go to my parents as a grown 30 year old woman, a 40 year old woman and say, I can't afford, like, I remember one time my stepdad and I was like, I was telling him that I didn't like buy a whole bunch of groceries. Like I would buy what I could, I would cook what I could and I would feed my daughter and then I would eat the leftovers. And so I wasn't eating a whole bunch of food because I couldn't afford it. And I remember telling my stepfather that and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, because I had to start resorting to putting my groceries on credit cards because I didn't have any money. He was like, don't ever do that. He was like, if you ever need anything, he was like, why wouldn't you just, you know, he's like, why wouldn't you just come to, to, to me and your mom? Because this is my, like, I'm an adult. Like, I should be able to handle all this stuff. And so it's like, it's just, I don't know. So it's, that didn't make me feel. So when I see other people struggling, I think that my answer was, let me try to like alleviate it by giving you a little bit of financial whatever. And that was the wrong, especially with the people, with with these particular people, that wasn't the right thing to do. Clearly, if it's a, a personal friend of mine or my family member, like my daughter, I would do that. But I, I guess for me, and that's the whole entire thing, like 
learning the lessons and I'm still learning the lessons of yeah. how, how to like, how, what does financial, what does personal finance mean to me? What does being a financially fit person mean to me? Um, and so it's just lesson. It's, it's a constant. It's always a constant lesson that I'm learning. So Lakeisha, <laughs> I love this. She said, what part of frugal bitty don't they understand? <laughs> Talking about I don't, know. I don't know. And then I don't know. Justin said, yes, you are good. And we can use your knowledge for sure to help others. Thanks, I like that, Justin. So going back a little bit, I heard you talk about family, Black families. Why is it you, our people do not have such a grasp on financial literacy as a whole? Because I mean, I when think I grew up, I didn't have my parents. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I remember seeing my mom. She'll have her notebook and she wrote down the balances and, you know, she did her sheets. But if you don't know, you don't know. But as a whole, I just sometimes I think we missed the mark, have missed the mark on it. So what's your opinion about that? And what does I mean, it look I like? It could just, I think that it could just be a variety of things. I mean, not all black people, but we are not, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of things. We, we don't. So if you don't have it, if you don't have the money, you don't know how to manage it. You don't have that. So how do you manage? So I, and I'll, I'll give you a good example. So when I was in Georgia, I, um, I did volunteer work. I was their financial person and I taught financial literacy at a homeless shelter in Georgia and the, in a suburb of Georgia. And what I found to be very, very challenging was teaching financial literacy to people who don't have money and these so it was it was so it was like how do you teach somebody so if you're a lot of these women were getting jobs that only paid minimum wage and it was very very difficult to teach because you're in you're basically in survival mode so everything that comes in goes out and i think that for us who are who grew up the way that i did in the black community i mean we didn't we don't have wealthy people in my family, like maybe I might be the wealthiest because of just because I saved, but that's not, how do you teach some, and that was my difficulty. How do I teach someone about balancing their budget when you don't even have the money to do it? So I think that that is, that is part of what the, what the issue is with the, with the black community is that we just don't have it. And so if my parents didn't have it, then how would they, how would they impart that knowledge onto me? And I, and again, with my situation. I think I just was wired a little bit differently because the fact that, again, my mom looking for change and the fact that we couldn't do certain things. And back then it was embarrassing to be at, um, to go shopping at um, Goodwill. My mom would buy our clothes from Goodwill. Now I don't care because they have, you know, whatever. It's cool to, to shop, but just being poor or being not whatever. I think that that's what it is because you don't have it and you don't know. Right. Have it and do not know. I, I would agree with you on that. Um, my mom taught me to save, but not bring back the layers. I do believe she did the best that she could with what she had. But <clears throat> I really wish when I was in school that they had classes like that to um, teach kids on how to save and about stocks and bonds and retirement. All of that. I, it, it, it's a gift. It really is. And um, I do remember 
I will say this about my mom. She will save some. Let me tell you a funny story. <laughs> so she's going to kill me if she hears this. So she was playing the uh, the lottery. So she calls me, first love. And she's shaking. And you can tell she's about to cry. I was like, mommy, what's going on? I hit the lottery. <laughs> I said, mommy. Put it on mute for a minute. I said, okay, well, go just go to the, the convenience store and cash it. She said, no. And I think it was literally was probably like $50,000 or something. It was like big Powerball to the point you could not go to a convenience store. You had to go downtown Atlanta to the lottery, you know. And so she said, Come over, because I don't want your father to know about it, because we have to pay off this, 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 this bill. <laughs> Apparently, and then my selfish ass, I'm like, ooh, I can get another car, I can do this. <laughs> but she didn't read the the, the um, lottery ticket correctly, so needless to say, that was gone, but I thought that was a funny story. She didn't hit the lottery, y'all. That's funny. It was. I know, I know people who've, who have hit the lottery. So I was like, I wish that could happen to me. But going back to like the whole teaching, like, okay, teaching finances, I think that I could probably also like credit my stepdad because I remember when I got my first job after I graduated from college and I was, I didn't make a lot of money back then. It was a part-time job working at a school and the salary was $18,000 a year. And that was back in 1994. And so I remember it was it was a, it, it was a part of a teaching um, institute. It was a public school system. And I was like a paraprofessional. And I remember they they mandated that we um, participate in the retirement plan. And I was so upset because I was like, I don't even hardly make any money. And so it was like my stepdad who had to like basically sit down and he was like, the worst thing that I did was when the 401k, because I think the 401k, the 401k law from under the IRS came out in 1986. And he said that when that, because prior to that, it was pensions, but then, you know, everything started moving. But he said the worst thing that he did was he didn't start participating early in the 401k plans when he, or the 403b plans and all that other stuff when he, when it first came out. So that was like, for me, and that's the thing when I, when people tell me again, like, they didn't learn like financial lessons. You do learn the financial lessons. You just basically like people are telling you stuff all the time. It's just a matter of whether or not you choose to listen to them. And I chose like when he said that it always was like, OK, when you get your job, make sure you contribute, make sure you max it out. So I don't know. So he you know, he was like if he would have started saving back then, he would have had all this money saved. So, you know, I think that. But yeah. I think that we all have like financial lessons that we do. People talk about it. So when you talk about like the black community, I just think that we just, we probably, you know that you don't like being broke. You just don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to go about doing it. But now we have resources. So anything, even if it's 1% of your salary, you should be putting something away. Like my, you know, our grandparents or our grandma used to stuff money down in their, in their bras or whatever. They saved it, correct. They had stuff stashed away someplace. They just didn't invest it and it didn't grow, but they had money stashed away someplace. They just didn't tell us about it. So here's another question. I have a lot of budding entrepreneurs and 
established entrepreneurs on my friends list. You know, a lot of very resourceful people. So now we're still in the financial forest. We're going to go a little deeper in it. How, what would you advise somebody who wants to financially jumpstart their business? When they want to financially jumpstart their business, how? Like I would not, mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I wouldn't do something with the business. I would still be working full-time and doing my business part-time. I would, that's, so I don't know if that's answering the question in terms of how you financially jumpstart your business. I wouldn't put everything into my business at this point. That's just me because I'm overly cautious. And if right. they did, I mean, of course you need to make sure that you're saving money or whatever. Like you need to, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you start a business and then it goes under and then you're in debt. Like the biggest thing is to try not to be in debt. Um, and I don't know if that's answering your question. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is. It is. My life coach, she told me, Ursula, just remember you are not, you are an entrepreneur. You just happen to have a full-time job. Meaning you still keep that job so that income can come in. Correct. <laughs> so the new year is approaching us. New year, new me. What are some budget resolutions that people can start? And we really don't have to start in January, but say we correct. I mean, I think one of the, of course, I mean, the biggest thing is your savings. The biggest thing to me is like your retirement savings, because I can't imagine anyone wanting to work into their 60s and 70s. And I have like conversations with people and I'm like, I don't believe that the minimum retirement, like even though they tell you the minimum retirement age is 65 or 67, that doesn't mean that that's the age you're supposed to retire. I'm still going to retire at 58. I can, and that's the earliest that I can retire, but I'm out of here. Like I know I just, I'm like, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, this work life is not for me, this whole entire, like I'll do, you know, maybe part-time consulting here and there or whatever, but I don't want to be working for this. I don't want to work until I'm 60 years old and I'm not like 65 years old. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I think like for me, I know that like I looked at my budget at my current place of employment because I don't work for the feds anymore, but I still have my pension. When I when I retire, I'll still have my pension and I, you know, saved over my half a million or whatever. And that's growing. But I increased my my amount, the amount of my retirement. So I look at things. So I think that that's the first thing is to look and say, OK, if you have to make that adjustment at the beginning of the year, like think about it like, yes, you don't have to wait, but we're in November and so think about and look at your finances and think that you want to be saving as much money as you can, because you do, trust me when I tell you, you do not want to be 70 years old and still working. I mean, unless you're that for this, some people like that. I'm not that person. I'm out of here at 58. So when the rest of you all still out here working, I'm going to be over in Costa Rica riding a bike, doing bicycle tours. I've already planned it out. I already talked to my financial planner about it. That's how I'm going to make my, you know, my, my side money or whatever. I think that that is one of the things. And also obviously like pick a debt and get that debt down. So if you still like some people don't have a whole bunch of credit cards, but even if you only have one, pick a debt and pick and, and, and try to focus on, you know, what is it that I'm doing that I still have credit card debt? So, I mean, I think that it's really just like focusing for me and I don't care if you're because when I was 27 years old, 
my whole entire thing was I don't want to be working for the rest of my life. I remember when I started with the federal government, I was 28 or 29 years old. And I was like, I had to have been the youngest person in the retirement class mm-hmm. because I knew I don't want to work past this age. I and and that was it. And so I think that having that idea and starting now and just realizing, like, where do you want to where do you honestly want to be in 10 years? Where if you're 30 years old, what do you want financially um, when you're age 40? Do you want to buy a house? Are you thinking about, you know, saving even if you can get a, you know, a mortgage for three and a half percent? Think about saving 10 percent. Think about saving 20 percent. Like, look at your life and say, if I only if I have three thousand dollars now, what do I want to have in any account in 10 years? And so I think that those are the things. Just start saving your money. That's that would be my advice. So I have a question from Ebony. She said, Takaya, aside from your frugal bitty blog, what other books, blogs, et cetera, would you recommend for someone wanting to pay down debt and get their finances in order? I have not um, been looking at other people. I'm trying to think of who I like. Um, I don't know. Like I look on who do I follow? Like I still like Dave Ramsey. I still like his um, I like the order that he does things. And even though I didn't necessarily and I don't feel like you have to follow that exact order. Um, I haven't I've been so out of like my financial. I've been on a, a different like mindset. Um, so I don't know. But I can if you follow frugal bitty i'll post some stuff and i'll say these are my recommended people that i follow or recommended blogs that i follow like i there are some people that i that i genuinely gravitate towards but right now i can't answer like i have to think about it and that's great because that way i get to put them in the show notes so when people come back we will have an expanded view of the list or whatever books that that Takaya suggests. So Justin, if we can briefly answer this question, because we're going to kind of start wrapping it up. He said he read an article today regarding 401k versus real estate investing. What's your outlook? Or do you believe you should definitely do both? Um, I say that it really all depends. And again, um, I would say that, I mean, it honestly all, all depends. I think that you should, if you have a 401k plan, I would say invest in it at your, at your employer. I don't, at your place of employment. I don't think that people should do risky real estate investments over the 401k. And I don't know if that's answering the questions. Um, if I had it my way, like, I think about the fact of even like the money that I save for my daughter, I think back to myself and I'm like, I probably should have just, instead of saving that money for college, I could have bought a couple of houses, but then you never know. So I would say, get a good hold on your 401k, invest in that or figure out even like investing in the stock market and then go into real estate. I think that real estate is still very, very tricky. Uh, I don't know what the, if, if you're flipping, the, there's risk. If you plan on um, being a landlord, there's risk. I say that for me, how I was able to get my wealth was mm-hmm. I focused on my thrift savings plan. I focused on my 401k plan. I still own a house. I've purchased five houses in my life. That's 
part of the reason why I was able to get out of debt because I bought them, but I was living in them and then I moved to another place and then I sold them and then whatever, um, whatever profit I made, I took that and I eliminated my debt. I just kept on doing that. So it depends because I, I work, I work differently than most people. If I bought a house, it would be to sell it and to put it into, um, to take it, to pay down my debt. Mm, Okay. I just received a text and he wanted to know, let's see, how long should it take to build your emergency fund? It took me now in order for, and this is, so my financial advisor now is telling me that um, I need to have an emergency fund of $25,000. When I first started going to her, my emergency fund was set at $15,000. She told me, um, well, you can get that done in a year and a half. And I was like, I can't. So it took me four years. So, and I told her, well, I don't, cause I didn't know I made a decent income. I didn't have any debt, but I don't think that she took into consideration the fact of how expensive it is to raise a child, um, right. my other stuff. So I don't think that that's something that needs to be necessarily rushed. It could take you three years. It could take you five years. It could take you two years. It depends upon how you plan on putting, setting, how much money you plan on setting aside. One of the things with me is I, I know that there are a lot of um, online um, calculators, but I'm big on Excel spreadsheets. So I always just put everything into an Excel spreadsheet. So once I do my budget and I have money left over, whatever is left over is going into my emergency fund. And so I make sure that it is consistent. So currently my emergency fund, I have $700 a month going into my emergency fund. So um, it's $350 every two weeks. And I'm just like, whatever other sacrifice, whatever else I have to cut out, I have to cut it out or whatever. But before it was like $200 a month. So it it really all depends. There's no amount of time. Just set it up. If you want $15,000 and you think um, five years, that's $3,000 a year and 3,000 divided by 12, do it that way. But it really is not a set. It's not an exact time. So I heard you talk about your daughter. Um, How would you pass on generational wealth, but not generational debt? What would you advise other folks? I mean, my passing on generational wealth for my daughter, like if I, God forbid, if I were to pass away, she'd be a millionaire. So um, I just... I think that it's more past. It's more of a knowledge thing. So it's kind of like if you know that you don't like living debt and debt, why would you want to pass that on to your child? And it's the the gift of debt versus the gift of wealth. So my so with my daughter, it's it's lessons learned. Um, I'm trying to still teach her because she's not like me. So I'm still trying to teach her about not getting into debt. Um, my plan is not to ever pass anything on to her. Like I am still like I have some debt. It's not this amount of debt, but it's it's this amount of debt. And um, I'm still focused on getting that that amount of debt off. But I think it's the the lessons that you that you impart to them. Um, My daughter knows that I own a house. If I pass away, she gets the house. She knows about my retirement plan. If I pass away, it's her. She has I have my like that's how it's, it's basically passing on the knowledge instead of making it okay in order to like always have to have something and, and get in debt in order to get it. I don't know if that answers the questions, but that's how, for me, I'm passing it on to my daughter. 
Oh, I love that because you pass along those gems, to, at least to me. And I know a lot of people follow you. So I don't know if I told you this before. I was reading one of your articles. It was a, a while ago. And you were talking about the same thing about putting away a little bit here. And when you have extra, put it towards debt. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to listen to Takaya. And I started doubling up on my car payments. <laughs> And I paid my car off about six or seven months early ahead of time. Congrats. See, it works. I don't think people, and it's not like it's going to kill you either. Like putting additional $100 or $150 away is not going to, it really is not going to kill you. Trust me, everything like balances itself out. And it feels so good not to have like that debt is gone. So then that way you can focus on something else. I love it. Yeah. And I also love, can you briefly, because we're going to really wrap it up now. Can you briefly tell people about Acorn? And I downloaded that app. Oh, so um, I always like um, the Acorn is kind of, it's, it's just basically a roundup program and um, you attach it to your checking account. And so anytime you make a purchase, it automatically, so if I make a purchase for $19.50, Acorn will take the 50 cents and they'll invest it. And so like my twin has a lot more money than I do in hers. But right now I have like $2,200 and that's just spare change. So it's always like spare change. If I pay a bill, it'll basically double up the like the, you know, the increments of the bill and, and put it in. And then I have like 10 extra dollars a week going in there. Um, so it, it works. I mean, it works. So I would highly recommend those sort of apps because it's like, that's just leftover money. So I'm never broke. Even if I tell somebody I'm broke, I at least know that I have that money in Acorn. And that has, that has actually helped me out. So I've, I've been in, like I had a, a huge bet bill for my dog and I just took the money from out of there. And I was like, that's, that's how I paid for her vet bill. Was that the little dog that looked like a little pig? That's the fat one. Yes. Her, she's always giving me problems. <laughs> she has so many issues. I'm like, geez, here we go again. <laughs> GG. That's her. That's her. So for all of you who do not know, Takaya is an identical twin, like truly an identical twin. I cannot tell you two apart at all when I see your pictures. And so we're going to end this session with, oh, before I do that, choose a number between one and two. Two. Good. I have five questions for you in this lightning room. <laughs> Here we go. Are you twin A or twin B? I'm the second one, B. Really? Who's older? I mean, by how many uh, minutes? One. Okay. Do you all think you look alike? Oh, I know that we look alike, but I don't think that we, I don't, I, when I look at her, I don't think I'm looking in a mirror. Like I realize, cause I look at pictures and I'm like, oh, we do look alike. Like we, like I'm looking right now at myself Yes, that looks like Tawana, but if I'm looking at my sister, I don't think that I'm looking in a mirror. So I do realize that we do look alike, but I don't think that we're mirror images. Well, I disagree. <laughs> okay. Who's your favorite Falcon player? And before you answer that, everyone, she is a huge 
New England Patriots fan. Yeah, I asked you. Yeah, who's, your favorite who was, who's on the Falcons? Okay, I'll you take another Patriots. <laughs> no, I said the Falcons. No. I'm funny. <laughs> okay. What was your biggest selfish splurge in your oh. frugal mini years? When I first got out of debt, um, and I was in Georgia. I went to, can't remember the name of the mall, but me and my daughter, like I just went in and I went, like we spent like $1,200 that day. And I didn't like, I, God, I can't remember what the name of that mall is, but it's one, it's not Linux, but it's one of the other malls or whatever. And she, we were picking up stuff and she's like, what about the price tag? I said, girl, don't even worry about it. And so that was like $1,200. I mean, we had bags and bags and bags and bags. Yes. So that was like my biggest for. And then, of course, I did end up buying myself a Louis Vuitton and I gave it. I'm not that sort of person. So I actually gave it away to somebody. But that was like to go into a mall and to spend $1,200 and just picking up stuff off the rack. That was like amazing for me. I would have been in there like supermarket suite. Just you. Did you go to Greenbrier Mall? No, it's that other mall that's like um I'm joking. No, you know you but you know what mall it is. I can't even think of it because it's not Linux. It's one of those really, really nice ones and they have the North Street. I mean it's it's a I've been there before, I just can't remember. Phipps Plaza? No, it's actually on the suburb of like it's still considered Atlanta, but you have to get off the highway. I know I got lost over there one time when I was running with Black Girls Run, so I don't know. Like it it but it we were going in. Didn't even look at price tags, just grabbed it. Can I be your daughter? <laughs> I don't have it like that anymore. <laughs> so, oh man, that is too cool. Okay, aside from the $10,000 loan, what what's your buyer's regret, uh, buyer's remorse that you've had? Nothing because I'm still pretty practical. Like I, the problem, one of, one of my problems is that I don't buy, I don't spend a lot on myself. So I don't really have any sort of like, uh, no, that was the only it. Cause anything, I always think about everything that I buy. So I don't have any buyer's remorse on anything. It's just loaning that part, but I got my money back. So. Yeah. You did it like a gangster. I, I, I don't know if I could work and have this person that works a couple floors on top of me and not show my ass. <laughs> I couldn't do that, but I knew what I was gonna do. I had a contract. I'm an attorney. I knew it was gonna work out in my favor. Smart woman. Okay, let's see. Oh, here's the last question. This is very important here. Can I borrow $500,000? Never. <laughs> You can come visit me in Costa Rica and I'll let you stay in my house for free, but you will not take. Yeah, I'll have a spare room for my guests. <laughs> oh, my God. So we are going to wrap it up. Actually, I do have one more important question. Would you come back for season two? Sure, I should have. Yeah, I should start doing a little bit more with the frugal bitty. So maybe I'll have a book by then or something like that. So yes. This is good. So just to let you all know, like I said, financial literacy is also self-care. And I hope you all got some 
great gems, but the reason why I wanted Takaya on, yeah, we can learn about the the ins and outs, how she does it, but it's really important to know if we make mistakes, once again, bounce back from it and just do better, Learn, have it as a learning lesson and to not beat yourself up about it and stay and ruminate in it. I'm guilty of that that with what drew me to contact you. And when you come back in season two, then we can get into the nuts and bolts, but Absolutely. this would be a good benchmark as of uh, November 19th to see what changes we've made financially in a positive direction in January, you know, so. That'll be a good like New Year's resolution, sort of. Yeah. So everybody should be thinking about what they plan on. Hopefully, you know, 2020 has been crazy. So maybe that'll be, a, uh, you know, inspirational motivation to do something greater for 2021. I Get your finals. Yeah, I love it. Um, can you tell everybody your website and anything else that you have on the horizon? Too much of anything, but I I will start. So I am on Facebook as the Frugal Biddy, and I have um, a website, which I'm going to get redone, um, www.thefrugalbiddy.com. I'm also on Instagram as the Frugal Biddy, um, and I'm on Pinterest as the Frugal Biddy also. So you can just Google the Frugal Biddy, and I'll come up. That, yeah, she will, because... I don't know. Well, you know your website better than I do, but you know what you all go on her page, go on her website. It is thick with info. I was really surprised. It was a lot more than expected. Also, you all take a screenshot out of her face or her name, Frugal Bitty, just so you will not forget. But she has worksheets, financial worksheets. She has articles, blogs. She's been interviewed. Can you give us a couple of uh, companies that interviewed you? Um, I remember Money Magazine, and then I honestly can't remember the most recent. I don't remember. the guy. I'd have to Google him and be like, I'm sorry, because I'm like, I don't even remember. But um, I just know I'm, I'm, I am in Money Magazine. Um, and then I've had, I know... And I also have certain people that have, I've, I've seen videos of myself that other people who are bloggers have put videos and they talk about me. Um, so if you like anybody who Googles Takaya Anderson, T-A-K-I-I-A Anderson, you'll see the stuff that's been written on me. Yes, there's a lot. You see, she can't remember who interviewed her because it's been that many people. <laughs> I was very, I was highly impressed when I saw your website. And you know what? I know people are wanting this because there's been a lot of hearts and likes in the comments. Good. Yes. And you'll see it. So we're going to wrap it up. Are there any final parting words as to um, as the frugal bitty you'd like? No, to I, would say, I mean, I think that this was like a really good, um, I think that this was a really, really good, good conversation. I would tell everybody just to stay the course. Um, that I'm telling you that if you put forth the effort and even it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of money. Like I know that I said that I saved $700 a month, but remember I wasn't always saving $700 a month. It could be $25 and I started with $25 a month and I just build from that. So just try to take 
So I'm, I'm just really, really big on saving money. Like, please save money, not to sit there and just spend it, not to say that you can't, but really like, and just, I mean, attack your debt, attack it in, you know, short, short ways. I mean, just have a plan um, and you'll be fine. And again, just like ourselves talked about, the, I mean, you're going to make mistakes. I continue to make mistakes for me and I'm very, very hard on myself. So things that I do, I'm like, oh, that's so stupid, but I'm human. And it is what it is. And it's not like I can't. I know that I have the tools, whatever it is that I get myself into, because I've been this way. I have the tools in order to get myself out of it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you. And I love you all. This for the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog.